This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This is Greg Olson, inviting you to check out my new Blue Wire podcast, TE1, where I interview tight ends throughout the history of the NFL who have helped revolutionize the position. TE1 is presented by the Chevy Silverado, the Silverado is all about grit. It's strong and dependable, exactly like playing tight end. Just like the incredible players we sit down with on the podcast, the Chevy Silverado is in a league of its own. Strong, advanced, and dependable. Download TE1 today, wherever you listen to podcasts. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Geno Time Podcast here on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. We're brought to you by Bet Online. My name is Tom Westerholm, Celtics beat writer for Mass Live. I'm joined by Nicole Yang of the Boston Globe. Danny Ainge talks to Celtics Media. We're recording this part Thursday morning. We figured we should go through, you know, just kind of what Danny talked about. He touched on a lot of stuff. Nicole, what was kind of the biggest story for you? So the biggest story for me was definitely that he acknowledged Kemba Walker was not 100%. Yeah. Because he didn't have to do that. Kemba didn't look bad enough where I think he needed to acknowledge that, if that makes sense. Like, he was probably going to be asked about off-season surgery just because of the history with Kemba's knee. But he didn't have to say, I think to the extent that he did, he didn't have to say Kemba was struggling that much. Yeah. He said, like, Kemba's numbers were fine. Which, again, shows why he didn't have to say something. So the fact that he Mm -hmm. did indicate something is not right, clearly. And also, the Celtics organization has been I don't think intentionally or actually probably intentionally it's not malicious though but they've been cryptic whenever speaking about Kemba's knee we don't exactly know what's going on other than that he's just like sore it sounds like perpetually so the fact that they're freely giving this information up I feel like shows that something is up agreed I think it's interesting because Danny like like you said Danny didn't have to say something but like if you watched Kemba all year you could kind of tell that like there was just something missing that the Celtics really needed even if you watched him earlier in the bubble. I mean, I think it was smart on a few levels for Danny to address that because not everybody, but you could, but you could kind of tell and you could kind of tell that there was something wrong. And I think this way Kemba doesn't have to be the one who comes out and makes an excuse. Had this been a normal season, I would question Kemba's availability in the postseason 100%. So this definitely is not good news by any means. The guy played 82 games last year and I don't know that that was a good idea. So yeah, I agree with you that that was a big one. I think One of the biggest takeaways for me was just Danny is mad (laughs) the Celtics lost that series. He is just calmly seething, I think is the right way to put it. Because he didn't, it was not that he like called anybody out or that he said anything, but like he was pretty calmly specific about like, you know, we think that we would have a good chance to win that series if we played it again and stuff like that, where it was just like, oh yeah, this guy is tight. He wanted to win that one. Well, I think my favorite line when he was like, Miami is the better team. Pause. Right now. Yeah. <laughs> he, he made it very clear that he thought the Celtics should have won. He thought the Celtics could have won. And he is upset about the outcome without explicitly stating all of those things. Yes. So I think he did state actually the Celtics should have and could have won, at least on the radio. Cause he went on the radio first and then spoke to the media. 
Yeah, for sure. So the, the quote that he gave to the media was, well, we got beat. That's what it comes down to. I think that if we played it again tomorrow, I think we have a chance and we could beat them. Not to say that we would for sure. That would diminish what they accomplished. But just saying that we feel like we can beat Miami, when, but we didn't. And they beat us fair and square. They played better down the stretch. Great respect for them and all they accomplished. Just uh, feel like we didn't win. They're better than us right now. But we're going to try to get better. If you're Danny, I think you have to be pretty mad that like, so you assembled this good team that could contend. And not only did they lose in the conference finals, they lost to Pat Riley, kind of your nemesis. And then they lost to Pat Riley's team, who is about to get smoked by the Lakers, which will then even the Lakers with the Celtics in terms of championships. Like that's just a kind of a threefold whammy that, that, that he's like processing right now. So, and I kind of feel for him because it's not like he put together a bad team. Like he put together a very good team that probably should be in the finals right now. I guess that touches on, did Danny actually put together a good team? So Danny was asked whether he wishes he maybe was more active ahead of the trade deadline had he known that the Celtics would have had this opportunity. He basically said that the Celtics were active and he thinks it's a misconception to say that they were inactive. I'm curious as to what, who they were pursuing at that point and what they would have given up. I would love to obviously know those details. Yeah. This is a cliche, but I think it really was everyone's fault, if that makes sense. Like the players didn't execute. Brad could have made more adjustments or he could have made adjustments faster. And Danny could have potentially made a move at the deadline that would have put them over the top. No, I think you're I think you're right. I don't think that Danny can say like, well, you know, we tried to make a lot of moves. If the only thing he did was call about Davis Bertans a couple of times, and then when the Wizards were like, no, we're not trading him, um, that'd be like, all right, well, we tried. But I didn't get the impression from his answer that that was all they tried to do. It sounds to me like they tried to do more, and maybe they maybe nothing materialized because, like, I think there is something to the fact that teams probably look at the Celtics and they look at you know some of their trade history and like how much you know how much the Sixers get you know made fun of for you know Danny supposedly. Well, Danny definitely fleecing them with the Markel Fultz deal and then supposedly fleecing them with the Carson Edwards deal, which actually turned out pretty good for Philly. There's probably some hesitation in terms of, of, you know, not wanting to be that team. Other teams know that the Celtics have too many picks and too many young guys, and that's going to be a problem when the draft rolls around again. Because, you know, if Danny is like saying to uh, Cleveland or whoever, like, hey, we want to trade up, like you guys interested in three picks, Cleveland could be like, well, we know that you need to get rid of those picks, so give us somebody else too. That said, I think it's probably fair that Danny could look at people talking about his lack of action and be a little annoyed at it. I also think that what you said is probably the most accurate answer, which is that everybody is kind of at fault. Everybody probably could have done a little bit more. And the result of everybody not quite doing enough is where we are right now. Right. And I think that's why this has to be so frustrating for Danny and of the Celtics personnel that has spoken to the media since game six. He has been the one that has hidden his disappointment, I think, the least well. I probably (laughs) said that in the worst way, but... um, Danny has made it obvious that he is not happy. (laughs) Exactly. Whereas Brad, you know, I was, I think, more focused on how appreciative he was. Danny also was not in the bubble. So I think that probably contributes to why he feels that way because he doesn't have like the burden of being away from his family and things like that. But I think this sort of touches on what we try and get out with Sam. It's like, where does this roster go now? And that's obviously Danny's job. And I don't think this roster can 
win a title. Or at the very least, they're a couple of breaks away from winning a title rather than being a team that can just like go out and rather than being a Lakers, they're like, uh, well, maybe if we get the right matchups type team to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think ultimately what this series exposed was that they need some sort of scoring off the bench and they need some help at center. And whether those things come via the draft, internally, via trades or free agent signings, I don't know, but like somehow they need to address those two needs because otherwise we'll see a similar result and that will have like a very strong regular season team. You know, they'll be included in the conversation when it comes to playoff contenders, but at the end of the day, in a playoff series, they will get beat by a Bam or a Giannis or like a Tyler Hero 37 point performance. They'll they'll just get outshined in those areas. Oh, one thing that did make me laugh is when Danny was like, yeah, the bubble is great for Rob. You know, he was away from all of his distractions, aka like he was in a confined space with like the coaching staff and the medical staff that like we literally were able to keep track of him at all times. Did you pick up on that? Oh, yeah. So that made me lol. But, like, Rob is crucial in how much they trust his development and then also his ability to actually, like, do it on the court. I I think it's possible that there just isn't a big man who addresses their need, and so they have to hope that one of their their guys comes back. And honestly, in that way, the Celtics are in a pretty good position because they have guys who could be serviceable big men in that way. Like, And so it it just does come down to a matter of development. And I think that's where you like having a Grant Williams, where you can feel pretty confident. Like, the combination of Grant and Rob is interesting because Grant's ceiling, obviously, probably is not as high as Rob's, but his floor is much higher. And having that combination of, like, a guy with a very high floor um, and maybe not like a sky high ceiling um, and a guy with a sky high ceiling who also could have a much lower floor than Grant, you know, maybe, maybe that tandem works out somehow. Um, it's funny. Cause like you think that that's like the perfect situation, but then when they actually have to play, it's like, okay, <laughs> they both have enough flaws that this isn't going to work. It's quite possible. That's true too. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I do think that one very noteworthy thing was, I don't remember who asked him, but somebody asked, uh, what ways do you need to get better? And Danny says, well, I won't tell you specifics, but we've got some work to do. No question about it. I'm not overreacting to a tough loss to a good opponent. I'm just saying that there's some things we tried to do. We'd like to do at the trade deadline that we weren't able to do. And there's some things I'd like to be able to do now this off season to make our team better, but we have a lot to do. That does not to me sound like a guy who is just going to let Wanamaker, you know, let, let Shemi, let, let some of these guys whose contracts expire that we're going to get into doesn't sound to me like a guy who's just going to let them walk and then maybe draft some guys and hope for the best. Like that sounds to me like he is planning not to like blow things sky high or anything like that, but certainly to explore some options, some of which might be kind of uncomfortable for people who watch the team a lot. You know, he said it probably six times during his availability, like, yeah, we just weren't good enough. I don't think that's just him talking. I I think that he genuinely is uh, upset. (laughs) Well, because I think it's true. Yeah, right, for sure. Like, not to be a total downer and sound like a broken record, but they just aren't good enough right now, and they won't be good enough next year, even taking into consideration, in my opinion, the development of Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. You see Danny saying both on the radio and in our session, like, I think Jason likes it here. Like, I think Jason's going to be a Celtic for a long time, like, trying to sort of manifest that, but, like, they actually need to do something about it because Jason Tatum can get a deal anywhere. Like, he can easily bolt for a contender or bolt for a better situation at the end of this contract if he's not sort of feeling what's going on here. 
And look, we've seen guys like the pressure is on immediately when that happens. Like Carl Anthony Towns signed his extension with the Timberwolves and immediately everybody was like looking ahead. People were wondering if Carl Anthony Towns is going to stay in Minnesota. Now that is obviously a different scenario because Minnesota is bad and the Celtics are good. They're a good basketball team. The Celtics need to try to get better sort of regardless of how good Tatum and Jalen get, because I don't think it's impossible that Tatum makes another leap this summer, that, that Jalen makes another leap this summer. Like they're 22 and 23. They're young guys. I think the, the, gr- the greater point is that that can't be the only thing that the Celtics are relying on. They have to get better around those guys in addition to those guys taking another step. And that I think is where they do become a contender this offseason is if they do, you know, make moves to improve the team and improve the chances for those guys. And Brad talked about this a bunch, like the other players on the Celtics need to be there to make Jason and Jalen better. I mean, they really are a move away. Yeah, what yeah, exactly. Is, yeah, I don't know. And obviously it'll depend on who's available and salary cap and how everything shakes out. But they are certainly a move away. And it might involve saying goodbye to Romeo Langford or Marcus Smart or somebody who right now Celtics fans like. But they really are one move away, in my opinion. And you just cannot squander that opportunity. And Danny knows that. And that, I think, is the most important thing entering this offseason is it's Like, Danny knows what this team might need to be a championship team, and he's going to try. That's where things could get kind of uncomfortable for somebody. If Danny sees a a player and he's like, hey, if this works out, we are a, you know, championship team, he's going to make that move. We will see what happens. I, I, I will say that I think anything is plausible. Anything is plausible. Anything is plausible. I don't want to say like anything is possible. Like that almost feels too strong. I definitely don't want to say anything is potable, but I will say that anything, I think anything is plausible. I don't, I don't know if that's a distinction that means anything, but I, I think it is. I think plausible is like a step below possible. Coming up in just a second, we will talk to our pal Sam Sheehan. You've counted on restaurants, now they're counting on you. And while their dining rooms may be closed, they're still open for delivery with DoorDash. DoorDash is the app that brings you the food you're craving right to your door. Ordering is easy. Open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be left safely outside your door with the new contactless delivery drop-off setting. Choose from your favorite national restaurants like Chipotle, Wendy's, and the Cheesecake Factory. Many of your favorite local restaurants are still open for delivery too. Just open the DoorDash app, select your favorite local spot, and your food is on its way. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more. When you download the DoorDash app, enter code BLUEWIRE. That's $5 off and zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter code BLUEWIRE. Don't forget, that's code BLUEWIRE for $5 off your first order with DoorDash. The wait is finally over. Football is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all those great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. Back for fourth, fifth time? 
the uh, yeah. the man, the legend, Sam Sheehan. How are you guys doing? I'm doing great. Uh, pleased to announce that I have been hired by the at Sam Sheehan Medium, so we'll be representing that publication. Well, excellent. Uh, so everyone, make sure you follow at Sam Sheehan Medium. I'm sure it'll be a uh, acclaimed Twitter handle very soon. We're going to get into uh, a bunch of stuff today. We're going to talk about mostly about Celtics offseason, big picture stuff. Actually, Nicole, why don't you uh, why don't why don't you start us off? What's the first thing that you want to touch on offseason wise here? Well, I mean, I feel like we haven't spoken to Sam since he wore a full face of Joker makeup for the entirety of Game 7. It's called being Jokerified. So Game 6 of the Toronto series kind of, uh, it did Jokerify me quite handily because uh, it, I, don't know, I was like by myself in a hotel in Boston. It was like a very weird vibe. And I was just watching this game unfold where, like, that's probably, like, pound for pound, like, the best NBA game I've, like, seen. And I couldn't enjoy it because I just, like, wanted the Celtics to win. I was, like, so sure they were going to, like, lose game seven if they somehow lost game six. And just, like, everything went to overtime. I was like, I, we've got to do, like, something because I'm, like, I'm so sure they're going to lose game seven. So I needed to, like, reverse the bad vibes somehow. So I put on Joker makeup because I, I nothing ventured, nothing gained. Um, I figured, you know, if you wear clown makeup, you know, right before your team might lose, the other team can just take screenshots of you and you can just be the face of a Celtics loss for, like, all eternity. That's a pretty hefty gamble, but I feel like you're also, karmically, you will be rewarded in, in kind. So that's why I made the gamble. Less, uh, less karmically working was uh, being Riddler for game two, <laughs> which immediately backfired. The Riddler costume I spent $50 on has been retired. <laughs> Did you not think to yourself, well, maybe I should go back to Joker makeup? I felt like there, there wasn't a return. I felt like uh, you can't go back to Joker makeup unless something truly, like, Joker-fying had happened. Like, if there was a game seven against the Lakers, I might have brought it back out again. That's a Joker-fying, like, uh, experience. To lose to LeBron and Anthony Davis and their team of 30-year-olds in the uh, in the finals would have been not great. Uh, fortunately, we don't have to worry about it. We don't have to carry the burden of winning the fake championship in the bubble, which is what I decided <laughs> um, right after Celtics lost Game Six. Is that actually it's a uh, uh, it's made up? It's an asterisk. Um, nobody actually wants this title, um, and it doesn't count. So, woo! Bullet dodged by the Celtics. The Celtics are headed into the offseason. Nicole, I'm going to throw it back to you one more time so you can't dodge it this time. Uh, what's the uh, what's the first offseason storyline that you want to touch on here? I mean, I guess we can just go over who probably isn't coming back. I think that's a good place to start, yeah. Who, who makes the most sense as somebody that you think just probably won't be back next season? Javante Green. He kind of made the roster by the skin of his teeth last time. And Javante is a good player. He might bounce around the league a little bit. He has a chance to sort of follow in that, like, Abdel Nader, P.J. Dozier, like, leaving the Celtics, but, like, standing a chance to, like, catch on somewhere else just because of his, like, athleticism and everything else. I agree. I don't think he's going to be back. I think he is probably actually one of the most well-liked players in the locker room. And he and Tatum have a great relationship. He really was able to, like, form friendships for a guy who really played very little. I don't think, though, it's enough for, like, he's not like a Udonis Haslam, obviously, where Danny's going to keep him around for, like, a locker room presence or anything. I guess maybe if they can figure things out, they might be enticed to keep him for that reason, and he's not entirely unplayable. The Celtics team has way too many incoming players. They have too many holes on their bench that we saw in the postseason to just kind of have guys for uh, morale, basically, because like he's not going to break into this rotation. So I agree with both of you guys there. Sam, you mentioned Shemi. I think that's probably an interesting one to talk about. I agree that Shemi is probably a, uh, a candidate. Um, what makes you think that he is gone? 
Um, even though he was in the rotation, I think we saw that the Celtics, you know, power forward and center position was, you know, starting to get like a little bit cramped. It seems like Grant Williams is ready for more responsibility next year. I just don't really see a situation where the Celtics are bending over backwards to sort of keep Shemi on the roster. It's not, I don't think Shemi is like a, an unplayable NBA player or anything like that. In fact, I think there's teams where he would play much more than Boston. The Celtics just are set at that position. They don't really need much more. Not having him in the rotation in the playoffs didn't hurt them. I think Grant Williams has clearly shown that he exhibits mm-hmm. Shemi's best qualities and that like he has a strong defensive presence and Grant's three point shooting, I think is more promising than Shemi's. The Celtics are just in such dire need of scoring off the bench. Nicole, you have said a couple of times now that you don't think Ennis is coming back. I'm curious why you think that. So Ennis has a player option, so it's really up to him as to whether or not he wants to come back. I don't think he was particularly pleased with his role, and I think his role will be further muddied as maybe Robert Williams develops or has an offseason to really prepare. I don't think he was particularly happy with his role, and I think Ennis is reaching a point in his career, what, this was his ninth season or his tenth season? Eighth or ninth, yeah. He's, like, getting up there, and I think Ennis is a guy that always has his eye on, like, non-basketball pursuits as well. And I Mm -hmm. think his involvement in politics is really important to him, and I think he would much rather play in a city like Washington, D.C., Chicago, the Lakers, the Clippers. Who knows if those teams would be interested. I think, though, he isn't an automatic opt-in. And based on how he was used this past season and how he's projected to be used next season, I could see him pursuing other options. And if there's nothing, I think he will happily opt-in. If the Grizzlies, for example, offer him a deal, like I can't imagine him leaving for not like a major metropolitan city, basically. That makes sense. I kind of think that the the last thing you said about if he doesn't get any other offers, like that might be the deciding factor here. Because like, it's just so hard to find a fit for a guy like Ennis Cantor in the modern NBA. You know, I, I don't think he had a particularly good season in Boston. I don't think that a lot of teams probably looked at the Celtics and were like, oh, like that Ennis Cantor, that's somebody we could use. I kind of just don't see what the team is that could use and Ennis Cantor, or that would pay him, you know, more than $5 million a year next year, especially in those markets that you're mentioning. I think you're both right. I think that, like, if I were him, I would be back channeling just to see, like, what, feeling it out. I would kind of want Ennis Cantor to be opting in just so I could have the salary for trades. And if I were Ennis, I would see the writing on the wall that they're probably going to want to play Robert Williams and Grant Williams more. He's probably not going to even get the same utility that he got this year in Boston next year. Like, that's really tough. Although, we should say that Brad Stevens was very committed to giving Ennis Cantor minutes as the playoffs go on. So, who could say? I, I think that's a good summation. I think that there's a good chance that it's very hard for him to find money elsewhere. And, and in that case, obviously, he will be back with Boston. A guy that I'm interested in is uh, Vincent Poiret. After a season of covering him, I'm still not 100% sure how to pronounce his name because we never Poirier. talked to the guy. He never... Uh, Poiret, Poiret, whatever. Um, he's not coming back, so it doesn't matter. He's, he's not coming back, so it doesn't matter. He does have an, an extra guaranteed year. They will find a way to get rid of that. There's no way There's Vincent no Poirier is coming back. It was a total bust. There's no other way of cutting it. One of my favorite moments of the season is when somebody asked Brad during a practice and was like, what does Vincent Poirier bring to the team? Brad was like, 
he is the funniest guy around. Like, couldn't even come up with one thing basketball related and was just like, he's so funny. He like brightens the room and like, okay. Well, sometimes when you go outside of the league like that, sometimes you get Daniel Tice and sometimes you get Vincent Poirier. <laughs> it's worth mentioning, you know, the Celtics are going to need salary at some point for trades. There's enough there that it might make a difference for like putting him in some trades, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, if you put like like a draft pick that you're looking to package for somebody who makes like seven million or something, and you want to package Ennis and uh, Poirier exactly. together, that's like the only way that, the um, that it makes sense is, to hang on to him. So that is that is worth noting. That said, I don't think if they keep Poirier around, I think it's literally for that purpose. He's not touching the floor next season. Do you think? Do you think that they're going to be giving up on um, Carson Edwards? I mean, I'm torn too. I could see them trying to hang on to him, and because he's exactly what they would need. You would think right. he's a sharp three-point shooter. He has range. I mean, he, in that preseason game against the Cavs, hit, what, eight threes in five minutes? Like, that would be amazing if that was possible hey, in a NBA game. I, I got a little carried away that night, and on a podcast after that, I said he might be a Steph Curry-like shooter. I have to <laughs> confess my sins here in the confessional. <laughs> I got a little carried away. So I think they like him. I think he's worked really hard. I do think, though, that his skill set is replaceable to the point where you could upgrade. I could see both happening. (laughs) Fantastic. I think the interesting thing is what they try to do with their three picks. Because, like, I think if they tried to package all three of them together, another team might not be that interested in just, like, a straight-up, like, hey, do you want number 14, number 26, and number 30 for number 7 or whatever? You know, like, I I don't know that, like, another team is trying to bring on three salaries like that. But I think it'd be interesting if you told, I mean, like, let's say Chicago or, or Cleveland, who I think is trying to move down, like, you could have number 14, number 26, and, like, Romeo Langford. That might be like a more interesting package to try to move up and then you're consolidating talent. I'm more interested in what other teams would be interested in. Like are other teams interested in Romeo or other teams interested in Carson or other teams interested in uh, whoever it might be. But like of the guys who didn't play much this year who still have some value, like Romeo had a lot of like really nice moments. Carson is only one year removed from just going off in, uh, you know, the NCAA tournament. I think both those guys could have some trade value. As the Celtics are looking to consolidate, I wouldn't be surprised if one of those guys is gone, but it's just going to matter, like, who the other team values. I would guess that Carson's probably back. I think that he probably has less trade value. Not that I necessarily guess that Romeo's gone. I just think that when you weigh everything together, I think it makes the most sense that whoever has the most trade value out of those guys who didn't play that much is probably the most likely guy to be gone. And then uh, the last guy who could be gone this offseason in terms of just roster crunch is Brad Wanamaker. I think he's a little bit tougher just because he actually did get on the floor. He actually did offer some value. That said, the Celtics just kind of don't need another point guard. Tremont Waters is there. There's other point guards who are going to be available in the draft. Like, I think, again, the roster crunch might just kind of hit him. It's such a bizarre situation because, like, he was, like, so essential in the way that, like, he was, like, the first guy off of the bench. It's weird to, like, move on from him there, but at the same time, like, he's also the most obvious spot in the rotation where you can improve. Brad's a solid guy who, like, drew fouls, you know, would get to the rim, would, you know, play solid defense, do all of those things, like, like he was just a very solid player for the Celtics. But the Celtics, when you have championship aspirations and you have an eight-man rotation, solid doesn't cut it. You need, like, good players at pretty much every one of those seven-to-eight positions. And that's how Miami beat the Celtics. I think Brad's, like, the most likely of the guys we've mentioned to stay just because he is a steadying presence. And if someone gets hurt, let's just say that I'm not going to be shocked if we get the Kemba Walker um, has successful surgery on his knee, Woj bomb in a couple of days. So who knows? 
Well, and I think the the tougher thing for Wanamaker too is just the fact that like point guard, they're pretty stocked. Like they already have a backup point guard. It's Marcus Smart who can start. And then they have like other guys who can bring the ball up. Like they're fine whenever Tatum brings the ball up. They're fine when, you know, when Gordon Hayward does it. And I think they are pretty high still on Tremont. I, I would not be at all surprised if they want to see what they have. Um, in him, I, I think there's a lot of potential value to be had at the point guard position elsewhere. As much as Wanamaker helped, maybe more so than like a 31-year-old on a team full of low 20-year-olds. But that being said, I think Wanamaker will be cheap. I don't think he will be ex- that expensive. And I think Brad also likes the fact that he's sort of the adult in the room and that he can trust him. How much does that matter when Wanam- when it's Wanamaker? Like, and I, again, I'm not trying to like diss Brad Wanamaker, but like, like I think the adult in the room is supposed to be Kemba, right? I think for in terms of like someone coming off the bench. Mm. whether this is the correct decision or not, but I think Brad feels more comfortable giving Brad Wanamaker minutes over a 22-year-old, 21-year-old point guard that's a rookie. Yeah. Which which if I'm Danny Ainge, one of the things that I'm thinking about is like, I have to stop giving Brad Stevens these like <laughs> mediocre guys like who are 31 years old to put in the game. I have a hard time seeing them keep both Tremont and Brad. So either they're going to sign Tremont to an NBA deal because if they don't, somebody else will. Or they're going to, if they let go of Tremont, I feel like they will keep Brad because he had a good year. I agree with Sam that he's probably the most likely to be back. But if it comes down to a choice between Wanamaker and Tremont, I think they're definitely going to go with Tremont just because, like, I don't think you want to – not to put too much stock into, like, G League Rookie of the Year, but I don't think you want to give up on the guy who just, like, you know, ran the table on the G League. Can you still be Maybe they will keep both then. I don't maybe, know. Maybe, maybe. I'm not totally out on Wanamaker. It's going to come down to how many people they need to roster. If, if Wanamaker is your 15th guy, you're probably in pretty good shape. What's really most important about Brad Wanamaker and something I know Danny Ainge is – weighing heavily on his mind is that he's the Celtic who's older than me, Sam Sheehan. So that's, you know, that's important to me that my NBA team have someone who's older than me. He so is I about three months younger than me, which is just devastating. Oh, yeah. no. <laughs> I don't want to feel the creeping specter of death quite yet. So I need one Celtic who's older than me, please. Yeah. To wrap up, though, with the last two-way player, do you think Taco oh, will Taco. be back? I think Taco will probably be on another two-way deal. I think if you have another chance to kind of keep him around the team and work with him and just sort of see what happens, I don't know what more you would expect from a two-way spot, you know? Yeah, I think that there is a chance that, like, that somebody – and not that this is going to, like, affect how the Celtics use their 15th roster spot. I mean, I think if somebody offers Taco a deal, they will be like, you know, Godspeed to you, young man. But, right. like, there is something of a chance that somebody wants to take a flyer on Taco. If there's nothing else for him, I'm sure the Celtics will be happy to give him a, a two-way again. Yeah, I think the Celtics would gladly give him a two-way deal again. I also think Taco would gladly sign an NBA contract if anyone were to offer it. I don't think that, though, will compel the Celtics to then, like, match that. Agreed. All right, Jason Tatum. We're probably looking at a situation here where both Tatum and the Celtics kind of kick the can down the road a little bit, sign the max extension, have a few years in Boston, and and then see what happens over the course of the next few years. I'd be curious to see how much the Celtics, like what they try to do in terms of um, negotiating on all NBA appearances, all that kind of thing. Where does Tatum, you know, signing a max deal put the Celtics in terms of team building? Like, do they need to start catering to him? Because I don't think that it's like a guarantee that Jason Tatum is going to be in Boston forever just because he was drafted by them. Like, 
right after he signs his extension is probably too soon, but like they're either going to need to like win titles or do some things to make sure that Jason Tatum is very happy. Uh, the contract itself, that's lock it in. That's I guarantee that will happen. <laughs> there will be a max extension offer. There will be no Jalen Brown style, like getting cute with the money or anything like that. Like this is a number one, a true number one option on a rookie contract. This is why you got all those Nets picks was to make this exact hit, which you pulled off. Now it's winning time. It's time to start making a compelling case or you are going to find yourself in a Milwaukee Bucks type situation. And I think you're right, Tom. I think that Jason Tatum, there is not a, I'm not saying that Jason Tatum like doesn't like Boston, doesn't like his situation or anything like that, but there's not an ingrained like loyalty to Boston here. I don't think it's something the Celtics necessarily need to worry about yet. I think the things that go hand in hand with that are winning titles, but it is something to keep in mind. The clock is sort of starting now and Sort of that clock will also be dictated by whether or not Tatum gets the player option um, at the end yep. of his deal. Um, that's the only thing I think that's really up for negotiation here. Well, I feel like for so long the mission was like, okay, can we bring Anthony Davis to Boston? And that sort of like kept Tatum's future in flux. And now that that's obviously not happening, he is the guy. And they, I think, will definitely want to do anything they can to make him happy. Like if Bradley Beal becomes available – I think the Celtics will be interested, and I think yeah. that would also be a great fit to have Jason Tatum and Bradley Beal play together. So I, I think they need to most definitely do everything they can to win now. This window is important for them. Yes. Agreed. Yeah, no, 100% agreed. And actually, I, I know we'll probably get into some trade stuff in a little bit here, but I do think it's worth touching on the Beal thing. I agree with you 100%. Not only is um, – and look, like he might not become available. Like the Wizards – I think there's a good chance that the the Wizards want to run it back with John Wall and Bradley Beal. They want to take a look at this. Or yeah, lit, lit on the trash can, so to speak. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Oh, it's garbage? Okay. Right. <laughs> but I do think that, like, the Celtics should and probably will, you know, take up – if there's any indicator Bradley Beal might be available. Like, he and Tatum are super close. I, and to your point, Nicole, I think they'd be a great pairing. We've seen now that Jason Tatum can go cold. His primary form of attack is jump shooting. And if you're a jump shooter, you're not going to stay hot for an entire game. So there's going to be cold stretches. And during the playoffs, that's really damaging. So like having somebody like Beal around, as crazy as this is, given that Bradley Beal averaged more than 30 points this year, to be the secondary scorer on a, you know, a team that's trying to win a championship, that's a really, really good fit. I, I think, I, I think that Beal is the type of player that the Celtics would have to take a look at because he serves the twofold purpose of keeping their best player happy, but also giving them a chance to, to win championships. So um, obviously a more interesting, maybe more, or not more interesting, but maybe a more um, or a, a less certain one, although one that I think is still pretty certain is Gordon Hayward. Hayward can make $34 million next season. You guys think he's opting in? I would be shocked if he didn't because otherwise you are very excited to go play for the Atlanta Hawks. <laughs> or there's like one other team with cap room. I, I can't remember one of those two teams. <laughs> Hayward could with the Celtics opt out. Um, and then the Celtics would be able to like renegotiate a deal with him, which I think is plausible. I also just kind of think that like, Hey, all Hayward needs to make good money for the rest of his career is like a decent season. Uh, like, so, I mean, he showed all year that he can still be a very useful wing. So if you can be like a very useful wing who can, who can create, who can defend and you can make $34 million next year and then make more money on top of that at the end, like, 
give me the 34 million and I'll, you know, keep going whatever happens after this year. Yeah, I agree. I think he's opting in. And I also think that that's the ideal situation for both the Celtics and Gordon. I feel like both parties wouldn't be distraught if next season were the last season they have together. And I think that's where this is heading. <laughs> yeah. Like that's kind of why I'm a little skeptical of like the renegotiation aspect of it, because from what I alluded to before about the money thing, if you are giving Jason Tatum a max extension, the Celtics are going to be well over the tax next year. And even if they're negotiating themselves with Gordon Hayward, if you were to opt out and they were to, let's say, meet back up and decide, okay, we're going to be doing like $20 million a year or something like that. That's like a lot of luxury tax money. Like that's like $50 million of not paying like half of what you would pay the players going just to a luxury tax bill that goes to the rest of the owners. Like that's a lot of money. Like that's like we're banged up 31 year old Gordon Hayward. Right. And you know, you're, you're effectively asking someone to pay 70, yeah, $70 million for Gordon Hayward, like twice what LeBron makes for Gordon Hayward, which like maybe if it's winning time, like I guess, but I don't see it. Rich people are rich people for a reason. I don't, I don't project that happening. I think that it makes a lot of sense for the Celtics timeline for, you know, him to go. And it makes sense for Gordon to take all the money he can get this year, hope that he stays healthy this year and he could come out the other side very well off. You know, he could make a lot more money than he would like opting out and extending, you know, with the Celtics. So I feel really bad for the guy because this guy broke his hand, came back, got good again, tore his ankle all to shreds, came back, was still two weeks away from being ready to hoop, missed the birth of his son, and, like, did all this to try to help the Celtics win a title. And when he opts in, every Celtics fan is just going to groan and hold their head in their hands. That yeah, that's brutal. brutal. That's, no, that's I'm, so tough. I'm out here trying to trade him, and I want to be clear that this is absolutely not Gordon Hayward's fault. Gordon Hayward's been great. He still can ball, you know what I'm saying? Part yeah. of the reason I want to trade Gordon Hayward is I think that he's got upside. If you're a team, if you are, say, like, let's just say Indiana, for example, yeah, and you, you know, you might not be able to get a ton of value for expiring Victor Oladipo coming off of, like, knee surgery, someone like Gordon Hayward is probably not a bad bet. Well, okay, so I guess, like, taking a bigger picture look, where the Celtics are right now, I assume we all agree that, like, Danny Ainge is going to try and make moves so they can win now. Yes, right. From your perspective, what would be one of those moves? Like, what do you think the Celtics need to do to actually be, like, a contender next season? Some things I've been looking at. One thing I've been trying to do so hard, and it's – very difficult because it would need it would require a sign and trade and like I said the Celtics are going to be hard capped so they're going to need to move off of significant money this would be need to be something that's done in like in conjunction with cutting serious salary somewhere that I don't think they can quite get off of without trading a big piece like Gordon Hayward but someone Jason Tatum has been effusive effusive in his praise of that I think fits beautifully with this roster and would give the Celtics something they haven't had is um, Davis Bertans. Something like that, where the Celtics are getting like a 42% three-point shooter, dead-eye corner. Like, I think we saw how much how much trouble someone like Duncan Robinson gave the Celtics. As quick with the trigger and as good as, you know, Jalen Brown is and as improved as Marcus Smart is, the Celtics have not had anybody with anywhere near that kind of gravity on the three-point line. And I think they need at least one of those guys. Um, yeah. Even Gordon Hayward. Like, I think Gordon Hayward was probably supposed to be sort of that guy. Also, a good three-point shooter, not a great three-point shooter. So I think someone like that, that's someone I would like definitely be looking into if I were the Celtics. This is just an example of someone. So if Ennis is on the way out the door, I'm about to praise 
Ennis a little bit here. Okay. There is a good idea to have a guy like that who's strong because Bam Adebayo destroyed the Celtics. That's the reason the Celtics are going home right now is, is Bam Adebayo. The Celtics have had their lunch eaten by centers in the past, and as good as Daniel Tice is, and as much as like he can survive, sometimes the Celtics are ill-equipped, even with their current like three-man platoon, four-man platoon, to have a guy who can handle that. And his cancer is strong enough, but it wasn't mobile enough. So if I'm the Celtics, even with all those guys coming back, I still would like to find someone for the center platoon who can be, you know, have the strength and the offensive rebounding capabilities of Ennis Cantor, but also will not just be absolutely a total liability in the switch. So someone I looked at who will probably command more than the taxpayer mid-level, but I'd like to make a call and just see what he and his agent are thinking is Tristan Thompson, known quantity offensive rebounder in the league, like will probably want to start, can start in certain situations, but also like you can bench him if need be. But that's that's like another kind of guy that I would like be looking at. The only uh, objection I would have to Tristan Thompson is you mentioned uh, what he and his agent are thinking. His yeah. agent, of course, is Rich Paul, who is probably right. thinking, I hate these guys so much. <laughs> but, true. Yes. I do think that's something um, else that kind of makes the Celtics a little bit unique versus a lot of teams that are at this stage in their challenging thing is a lot of them can still get better. Yeah. <laughs> like I know yeah. we've been saying that for a while, but like someone like Robert Williams could take a real leap next year. Oh, or someone Grant like Williams. Grant Williams. Yeah. Someone like Romeo Langford. I'm still really impressed. I kind of don't want to train Romeo because I'm still really impressed by like his defense and like the fact that the one NBA skill that he doesn't seem to have is like what he was good at in college seems to bode well for me. <laughs> like, so I would like to, I don't know. I, I kind of like, even if the Celtics can't really make any of these moves and are basically more or less running it back, they're still in pretty good shape because a lot of these guys could get better. It's just that, you know, like we said about Jason Tatum and stuff like that, you don't want to be in a situation where optically it looks like you're wasting a year of his talent if it turns out that nobody did get better. But there doesn't need to be a ton of urgency this offseason in improving the roster. So if let's say the Celtics, um, we're like not that they're going to have the exact same team plus rookies next year, but like if the Celtics were mostly running it back and most of the guys were similar, like what archetype of player would you want to see them take in the draft? Like what do you think would help them the most? I, I think the number one need has got to be point guard, in my opinion. I think some if someone based on what I'm reading, if something someone like Killian Hayes or in his profile were to slide down to like seven, eight, nine, somewhere where somebody, one of those teams who would like to trade back or something like that is interesting. That's something I'd be interested in. You know, a big switchable guard who can run the offense, you know, shoot, score from three levels. Like that's, that's something that could really help the Celtics. If you can get a bench scoring point guard, as much as like Marcus Smart is a point guard, that's not necessarily like Marcus's game. Marcus is more of like a game management type point guard and like energy type guy. He's not like a scoring like three level point guard, true creation point guard. I think I'm with you on that. I mean, I think the biggest thing, honestly, is just like scoring, just pure scoring. You just need to get some buckets off the bench. And, and I think there's guys who could potentially do that in this year's draft. So that I think is, is the interesting thing to me is just like, like, I don't, I think that the, the, like everybody who's like, oh, they need to go draft a center. All that is insanely overblown and does not, and it does not actually consider any, any of the actual roster needs to me. I think that whoever is like the best scorer, whoever's going to give you the most punch off the bench is kind of the guy that I might target. So there actually is one guy in the draft who is like the perfect player for the Celtics, and that's Onyeka Kungwu. Um, he, that's what I said you were going to say. Yeah. Yeah. 
He's perfect. Um, it, it just kind of depends on like how high he goes and if the Celtics could trade up there. If they could trade, I mean, if they could trade up to get Cleveland to get to like number five with Cleveland and they had good intel that Okongwu was going to be available at number five, I think that's an absolute no-brainer because he does so much of what you need. Then you're not addressing your bench scoring, but like you're getting like the perfect player that you need. He should be number one on their draft board. Um, if there's anything they can do to get him, I would do it. And then after that, to me, it starts getting into like your Killian Hayes, your Tyrese Maxey, your Tyrell Terry's, those type of players. It seems like the Celtics trading up might, this might be a rare year where that's actually on the table. Cause it's actually pretty hard to do a lot of years trade up, um, and go get them. I would say the only thing is I wonder how many young center big men the Celtics want getting minutes this year. I think if you get a Kongu, you're probably trading Rob or trading Robert, okay. or Grant. You know, one of them. I think I think so you I, do have to consolidate at that point. So I actually don't want this pick. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean I, I don't like I don't know for sure, but I yeah. do think that like if you're getting a Kongu and, and I would go get him, I, I think you would have to give up on on one of the guys. And maybe maybe he's maybe you include Rob or Grant or whoever in the trade to move up then maybe you don't have to give up so many picks. You know, like maybe that uncomplicates that situation. But, yeah, I agree with you 100%. I, I, don't th- I think you can only have so many um, promising young potential centers. All right, guys, we will leave it there. Thank you to everybody who listened. Thank you to everybody who leaves us a review. A nice note. Feel free to DM me or Nicole with any ideas. And we will uh, talk to you all again soon.